If you got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verses 21 to 26 this morning. Uh, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount now for a couple of months together. And we come to this text today as we continue to consider what it looks like to live as a countercultural community for the good of the world and for the glory of God. And so this morning we're in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. We'll read down through verse 26 together. Jesus says, beginning in Matthew 5, 21, And you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny." As we've, last week we saw that Jesus says that for those who are citizens of his kingdom, those who've set their feet to follow after Jesus and have their life formed into his image, that a part of what he demands of them is that their righteousness is not broader or wider than that of the scribes and Pharisees, the very religious folk of his day, but that it's deeper. And this is the first instance in which Jesus begins to put some nuts and bolts, some handles on what that deeper righteousness looks like as he pushes us beyond what we might say is the letter of the law, the letter of the rule-keeping kind of righteousness that many folks had adopted in his day and still do in ours to more of a heart-level mind and motive of it flowing out from you as opposed to being pressed down into you and not being conformed to an external list of rules but having your life transformed and renovated from the inside out. And so this is the first instance that Jesus speaks of this. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been looking at is this teaching that Jesus gives where he's calling us as disciples to be salt and light. We saw that a few weeks ago. He's calling us to be a city on a hill that would shine brightly into the world and be very salty. And so what we might say is one theologian said it this way. He said, listen, what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's calling us as the church to show the world what it is not and can never be apart from him. What it is not and could never be apart from him. And one of the ways in which the church, as, it's, as it puts its feet to follow after Christ, is this, to live as a citizen of his kingdom, a part of this countercultural community, is that as we, as we show the world what it is not and can never be apart from Christ, one of the aspects or areas of life in which we do so is that in our context of our relationships and con- how we deal with anger. Because anger can be explosive, can't it? And it can be very destructive. And anger tends to manifest itself in one of two ways. Right? It either manifests itself in a volcanic explosion. There are some folks who kind of walk around just simmering all day long. Right? And I know I'm not talking to any of you in the room this morning. But you just walk around simmering all day long. It's kind of like there's that magma beneath the surface that's just continuing to boil and boil and boil. And then eventually whenever there's enough pressure applied, it spews forth from the mouth of the volcano. And plumes of ash and smoke rise for miles. And it's very destructive as it boils over. For other folks... For other folks, it's not their anger is, is expressed through heat, but it's expressed through cold, right? They withdraw from relationships. They get very passive-aggressive, right? And so there's a coldness about interfacing with them. So they're not like a volcano, they're like an avalanche, 
right? As everything freezes over and eventually it just collapses and it ends up destroying relationships, right? There are some folks whose marriages are on the brink of failure or who have found themselves in the throes of divorce because of anger, because of unbridled, unchecked anger. There are some friendships that have been ruptured because of anger. There are some folks that you've pushed away from you or you've been pushed away from because of anger, unbridled, unchecked anger, right? Some parents, their kids, right? Some of your kids maybe or some of the folks you know, their kids have been pushed away from their parents because their parents have exploded in anger or withdrawn in anger and they get very passive aggressive with their kids or they get very explosive with their children, Right? Anger has the potential to destroy relationships. And so Jesus, when he speaks of anger here, he's helping us understand not only its destructive capacity and what it really is in seed form, uh, but he's also helping us to see that it's not just about you and I. Listen, this isn't a message that's kind of a self-help message, right? Where you can go down to Barnes and Nobles, pick up a book off the shelf and go, how to manage anger in three easy steps, Right? That's not what Jesus is getting at here. What Jesus wants from us is not just that we would be better anger managers. Right? Jesus never calls us to manage sin. He calls us to put it to death, to destroy it, to fight against it so that we might be a city on a hill, so that we might be salt and light. Can you imagine a community of people who dealt with anger differently than what we commonly find within our culture how bright that, 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 that community might shine, how salty that church might be, how incredibly brilliant that city that's perched on a hill might be for all the surrounding peoples. That's what Jesus is driving out here. So it's not just how to better manage your anger so you can have a health happier life, but it's how can we be a healthier and holier community that shines brightly and is very salty because our relationships aren't marked by revenge, but by reconciliation. They're not marked by brokenness, but by wholeness. And that's what Jesus is driving at here in the text. Now, before we get into this particular text, let me be broadly biblical here for a moment because, listen, the first thing you need to see is not, that not all anger is created equal. Not all anger is created equal. Like you read certain parts of the Bible and you're going to see texts that refer to the anger of God being kindled or God being provoked to anger. For instance, in Judges chapter 2, you're going to see when Israel decides, you know what, God? We, we really appreciate the fact that you rescued us out of slavery, bondage, and captivity in Egypt, but we really want what the gods of the other nations are providing for, the, for, for those people. And so they said, God, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to go worship the Baals or these other idols. And so they gave their lives over to the other idols, seeking security and satisfaction and significance in the gods of the other nations. And in the book of Judges, you have this repetitive cycle of Israel doing that over and over again. And each time they would, it would say, it provoked the Lord to anger. Provoked, kindled his anger. Right? But his anger, God's anger is different than our anger because God's anger is not the anger of a selfish child who doesn't get his way. That typically tends to be what our anger is. But God's anger is the anger of a spurned lover who is betrayed. Someone who has given themselves, poured themselves out, sacrificed themselves for the sake of someone else and they look at it and they go, thanks but no thanks and they turn aside to worship, love, serve and honor the gods of the other nations. He's been a spurned lover, not a selfish child because his love always wants to lead his people back to, wants to discipline, not destroy his people. He wants to refine them, right? 
not get revenge on them. And so that's God's anger that is kindled against sin, that's kindled against those who would spurn him and his, his advances towards them to love them, to serve them, and to provide for them. In addition, in the Bible, we're, we're called to be angry at times. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, Be angry, yet do not sin. In other words, there's occasions or instances in which it is right for us to be angry, and there are some things about which it would be wrong for us not to be angered. Right? Whenever you look at the news or you scroll through a social media feed and you see the, the instances of injustice that exist within our world, when you see people whose lives have been shattered by sin, when you see victims of abuse and you see kids having been molested or you see children having been abused, you see people having been, been spouses having been abandoned, right? There is a, an indignation that rises within your heart. Why? Because there are some things about which it is right to be angry and yet not sin in the way that we deal with it. So not all anger is created equal, right? Not all anger is created equal. But see, our problem for, for many of us is that we have a hard time wrapping my minds around the distinction between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Because while righteous anger is born, it's the overflow of love, right? God is, God is moved to anger whenever he has loved and loved and loved and people have spurned and betrayed and walked away. In the same way that a husband or a wife who had pledged love and loyalty, allegiance and affection to their spouse at the altar before all their friends and family and in front of God would have someone walk away from that covenant commitment into the arms of someone else. They would be angered. Why? Because of the deep love that they have for their spouse anger is an overflow of love but for, for the unright that's righteous and unrighteous anger isn't born out of love but it's born out of pride and fear out of pride and fear but the problem for most of us is we want to take all of our unrighteous anger and like put it into a body and fill the waters of the baptistry and lower it down and baptize all our unrighteous anger into the waters of righteousness and say, I am right to be angry when what has happened is our pride has been pricked and our fears have been preyed upon. I know I'm not talking to anybody other than me this morning. While righteous anger is born of love, unrighteous anger is born of pride and of fear. So how do you know the difference, right? Here's one way to know the difference. It's to examine your motives. Examine your motives. And here's what I mean by that. Whenever you, when you feel anger beginning to rise within your heart, do you desire, is, is, is your deepest desire, greatest aim in the context of that relationship, is it revenge or is it reconciliation is it to get revenge so that the other person would feel as bad as you do they would be as wounded as you are they would feel the same kind of hurt and sting that you have experienced so you want revenge because your pride has been pricked and your fears have been preyed on or do you want reconciliation do you want where there is brokenness wholeness where there things have been ripped apart to be stitched back together which one do you want what's the motive driving that anger are you wanting to move toward them in love and reconcile are you wanting to withdraw from them in hatred hoping that they're going to get what's coming to them right, examine your motive in addition another way to get to the motive of your anger is this is you ask yourself this question do i want god to be glorified or do i want my pride to be pacified 
In other words, am I willing to come in humility and come to the other person and seek and pursue reconciliation so that God would be glorified, this church would be the salty and bright kind of community that God calls us to be where relationships are whole and not broken or do I just want to be right and have someone else acknowledge how right I am so my pride would be pacified. Differences between righteous and unrighteous anger because not all anger is created equal. Now, we've got to move on. I'm going to start preaching before we actually get to the sermon, okay? So, so listen, if, if this is the case, Jesus here is not talking about righteous anger or righteous indignation that's an overflow of love that moves toward reconciliation and the glory of God. Here, he's talking about unrighteous anger that is an overflow of fear and pride and moves toward division and brokenness and shattered relationships and a ruined witness within the world. And for Jesus, he says, this unrighteous anger is so destructive and it's so damaging. And here's why. Because unrighteous anger, he says, is the seed of murder. It is a seed of murder. Listen, every action before it becomes a deed starts as a desire. Every single one of them. And that's exactly what Jesus says here in the text. To use another image from agriculture, every fruit has a root to it that stretches deep beneath the surface. And so Jesus says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said of those of old, to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Anyone who carries out the deed or the action or commits that, that the murder will be liable to the judgment. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment because anger is the seed, unrighteous anger is the seed of murder. Right? If mur- listen, if murder is the full-grown tr- apple tree out in the orchard that is littered with all these red, juicy fruits, not the gum, but the actual fruit, okay? All these juicy, delicious apples, right? If that's murder, the full-blown tree that's come to bear and ripen fruit, he says, then what anger is, is the seed in the core of the apple. Because in the seed of that, of that apple core, You have everything necessary to develop into a full-blown tree. In fact, in that apple seed lives a full apple tree, uh, given the right conditions. In that apple seed lives a whole orchard of apple trees, given the right conditions. Because within every apple seed is a tree, and within the seed of anger is everything that you need to commit murder. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying your righteousness has to get under, deeper than that of the scribes and Pharisees. It's not a surface level, stat-based, scorecard righteousness where you go, didn't murder anybody today. (laughs) I can wake up and look myself in the mirror and feel pretty good. I didn't didn't take a knife and jab it into their eye. (laughs) He's saying, no, it's deeper than that because there's seeds to all these actions. There's desires that give birth to all of these deeds in our lives. And Jesus says unrighteous anger is the seed of murder. That's why he links it in verse, in, continue down in verse 23 where he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. In other words, not just if you commit the deed will you go to court, but if you actually have the desire, then you're liable to the same judgment, he says. That everyone who insults his brother, that word insults in the original language is this. It literally means, some of your translations might have it this way, it may say raka. 
And like when you read that in the translation, you go like, well, thanks, translators, right? Like in your job to take the original language and bring it into English, right? But it's hard to take that word and bring it into English because it literally means this, empty or nothing, right? And so it's, it's not, maybe not necessarily an action that you would commit that, would, that, would, that, that you would empty somebody, but it's an attitude that you have about that person, that they are empty, that they are nothing, that they are worthless to you. And the sign of that is kind of the sneer on your face when you interface with them, where you blow them off, write them off, because you don't consider them to be worth anything to you. It's an attitude of disdain, of condescension, of looking down on them or belittling them because you find no value in them. Jesus says, in addition, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says everyone who calls someone a fool, and that word literally in the original text is, called, is moros, right? Which we, from which we get our word moron. So when you call someone a moron, you're being very scholarly and academic, okay? You remember that next time that comes out of your mouth. But listen, Jesus says it's very hellish to do so. The fool in the Bible was a very specific kind of individual. It was someone who was so wise in their own eyes that they didn't see all the havoc and destruction and damage they were doing in relationships. They, they, were, they, they were so smart, they were so wise, they couldn't see how they were destroying and eroding the foundations of relationships in their life. And Jesus says, if you, out of unchecked, unrighteous anger, tell someone, call someone a fool and tell them they, they, they don't know which end is north or south, and you've written them off as an individual who is worthless, adds no value to your life and means nothing to you, he says, you have done something very hellish. Because unrighteous, unchecked anger is the seed of murder. You may not break into someone's home and take a knife and jab it in their back or a gun and pop a cap in them like all right I'm sorry it didn't sound very natural coming out from me but but he says you don't have to break into their home to kill them but you can kill them you can murder them every day in your heart you can slay them every day with your words and your mind that's what Jesus is driving at here and that's why he takes it so seriously and so what should we do about this? If we find this unrighteous, this unrighteous anger boiling over in our hearts, whether it's something that gets really, really hot or something that gets really, really cold, and so we explode or we withdraw, what do we do about it? Now listen, some of you have tried over the course of your life to repress it, haven't you? <laughs> right? You've tried to repress your anger. You've tried to shove it down and stuff it. Right? Now listen, I might lose some of you here for a moment, but... Uh, parents of kids under 10, right? You're probably gonna go with me, right? You've seen the Lego movie, right? In the Lego movie, there's this little cute rainbow unicorn kitten that bounces around this place, this fantastic place called Cloud Cuckoo Land, all right? And this is what she looks like, all right? She's called Unikitty, and she looks like this rainbow unicorn, right? But every time she has a negative feeling or a negative thought or a negative emotion, she stuffs it down, and presses it in and represses it until eventually at one point in the movie she goes from being the rainbow unicorn kitten into this fire-breathing monster, right? In fact, her jaws open up and she begins to consume everyone and anything that's around her, right? Why? Because eventually what you push down is going to come up. 
And it may come up with people and in places that did nothing to push it down. Right? You can, some of you have tried to repress anger all of your life, but what you found is that still internally you're chewing on that person in your mind and in your heart day after day after day. So some have tried to repress it. Others would want to try and release it. Some try to release their anger. Listen, in 2008, there was a company started called the Anger Room. I'm being serious. It's the Anger Room. I'm going to read straight to you from their website. This is exactly what they say. In 2008, it was established, listen, to provide an alternative to seeing a head doctor or talking it out when you're having a bad day. We believe, that they say, that sometimes it's better to just do what you feel and lash out when you need to. And what better place to do that without judgment, consequences, or public humiliation than in an anger room location? So there's franchises of this stuff that just keeps multiplying. They go on to say the anger room is a facility where you can let your hair down, gear up, and destroy real-life mocked rooms that simulate an actual workplace, if you're mad at your boss, a living room, if you're mad at your spouse, a kitchen, if you're mad at your kids, complete with dummies, mannequins, TVs, computers, tables... You with me? And many, many more breakable items. And they go on to say, no matter what walk of life you're from, profession or education level, we all get angry. So why not do everything you've ever dreamed of doing when you're mad without paying the insane cost and severe consequences of your actions? Just release it. Just release it. But you know what the problem is with that? Is that when you walk into that anger room location and you see that mannequin sitting there, you know somebody's face is going to be on that. And you're guilty of murdering them in your heart, whether or not you ever lay a hand on them. And a part of the problem of the violence within our culture is that people have been taught not to repress their anger, but to release it. And so eventually they release it on the dog, and then they eventually release it on their spouse, and then on their kids. So we, repressing doesn't work, nor does releasing. Both of them are a violation of what Jesus says here. What Jesus calls us to do with this unrighteous anger is to repent from it and be reconciled. That's what he says. Repent and be reconciled. That's the method Jesus encourages for us to deal with this unrighteous anger. In verse 23, notice what Jesus says. The very beginning of verse 23, on the basis of everything that he said in 21 and 22, he says, so. Some of your translations say, therefore. In other words, here's the implication of what I've just said to you. Here's what you should do. If you're at the altar and you're offering your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you, then you leave your gift at the altar and you go and be reconciled to your brother. Jesus says the implication is that you go be reconciled, but in order to be reconciled, listen, in order to be reconciled, if you're wrestling with unrighteous and unchecked anger in your heart, to be reconciled means more than go issuing an an apology because what you have to do is begin to recognize that your anger is not your problem. Your anger is only a symptom of a deeper problem. In the same way that anger is the seed of murder, Right? There are seeds of anger as well, something that goes beneath the anger. And in order to actually reconcile with someone in a way that is lasting and healthy and promotes wholeness, that you have to learn to repent from the sin that is under the sin. Because we said earlier that unrighteous anger is a product of either pride or fear within our hearts. 
Listen, in, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, listen, it's not what you sit down at the table and put into your mouth that defiles you, but it's what comes out of your heart that defiles you. Listen to what he says in Mark chapter 7. Jesus says, what, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come th- evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, he says, come from within and they defile a person. Jesus says where murder comes from is not the knife or the gun that you pick up. Jesus says murder comes from the heart because out of the heart comes murder and out of the heart comes the seed of murder called anger. So see, it's coming from within. From within and it's either coming from pride or fear. Your anger is either born, unrighteous anger is either born of pride or of fear. And in order to repent from the sin that's under the sin, you have to get clear on the difference between the source of your anger and the occasion for it. See, if it's coming from pride, listen, pride is a self-centered, self-directed desire for importance, for recognition, for the approval of people. Those who are wrestling with pride under the surface, they have an overinflated vision of themselves. In other words, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they see a whole lot more than anybody else sees. They have an overinflated vision of themselves and they demand respect, they demand acceptance, they demand approval, they demand importance, and they demand it from others. There's a deep need for others to recognize just how great they are. And as a result, any insult, any time that they are slighted, any time they are disregarded, any time they feel like they've been mistreated, any time their pride gets pricked, they exert themselves, they exert their importance, they exert their greatness, and oftentimes they exert their greatness through anger. And their importance comes out in force. Because pride is what's ruling their heart. It's not Jesus ruling the heart, it's pride ruling the heart. And pride gives rise to anger in our hearts when our vanity gets exposed and we begin to grow in hatred, resentment, malice, and vengeful desires. We begin to think of our, to ourselves about all the things we would like to see happen to that person even if we don't do them ourselves. See, pride says this whenever it gets wounded. It says, how dare they treat me that way? You ever said that? You ever felt that? Maybe you didn't say it, maybe you thought it. I I know I have. How dare they treat me? How dare they, for me, one who was up here, and they for one who was down here. How dare they treat me the way that I've been treated because pride gets pricked. And your importance is diminished and you realize I'm not the center of their universe. The world doesn't revolve around me and neither does their world revolve around me. See, if you find yourself saying, how dare they? There's a good chance that your heart is being ruled by pride. Fear, on the other hand, fear is also a ruling force within our hearts and whenever it's preyed upon, we begin to rise up in anger as well because fear oftentimes is produced by a by an experience in which we feel like we're losing control, right? You ever been on a roller coaster? (laughs) 
Right? And when everything's out of control, or sometimes those of you who are deathly terrified of heights, or deathly terrified of flying in an airplane because you're not behind the wheel, there's some individuals who can't ride in the passenger seat of a car with somebody else driving because they're not in control. And they're terrified of it. Fear oftentimes is born in our lives because we feel like we're losing control in a situation or we're losing control in a circumstance or we're losing control in a relationship. Those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm talking about. Listen, the, 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 the times in my life in which unchecked, unrighteous anger has risen and I've shown it by force, by raising my volume, has most often happened with the youngest individuals in my home with my children more times than I would care to admit to anyone when I felt like I was losing control right and they wouldn't listen and they wouldn't obey and they wouldn't do what I've asked them to do and so what do I do I escalate the volume right and anger begins to build in the heart because I'm out of control they're not listening they're not good respectful little children any longer Right? They're rebelling, and so I get louder and louder because I feel like I'm losing control. And some of you in relationships, whether it be friendships or marriages or with your kids or with other people who are members of this church, when you felt like you were losing control, you just got louder and louder and louder, hoping that you could kind of regain control through volume because you were afraid. Unrighteous anger is born out of that. And so you exercise force. See, if you're going to actually repent and be reconciled, you have to understand that your anger is not the problem. Your anger is a symptom of the deeper problem in your heart. And that the source of your anger, listen, this is for free this morning, okay? The source of your anger is not your spouse. Do you know that? Of your unrighteous anger, of fear and pride. It's not your spouse. The source of your unrighteous anger is not your children. The source of your unrighteous anger are not your friendships or your co-workers. The source of your unrighteous anger is not any individual in the life of this church or any neighbor who lives on your block. The source of your unrighteous anger is your heart. They are merely the occasion for it. And if you don't get underneath the occasion to the actual source, you will never be able to turn from it and be reconciled. And listen, the only thing that is sufficient in order to uproot the pride and the fear of our hearts, and we say this frequently here at Redeemer, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can get underneath the surface and it's no longer behavior modification or anger management, but it's actual change beginning to take place in the heart and the soul of a life so that the externals begin to flow out of that internal change. Because the gospel, the gospel says this to you, that you are more flawed and broken and sinful than you would ever care to admit to anyone, but you are also more loved than you ever dared to dream. And so it, 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 it's, the gospel is sharp enough to cut the roots of both pride because it says you're more flawed than you ever care to admit. That you're more broken, that you're more sinful. That the cross shows us that Jesus had to die in order to bear the weight of our sin in our place and for us. The cross show, the, the person of Jesus, we see in him that he had to come and live in our place because we couldn't live that way. He had to die in our place 
or else we would suffer that punishment. So we're more broken, flawed, and sinful than we ever cared to admit. And whenever we begin to come to terms with that, it begins to sever our pride in the heart. But we're also more loved than we ever dared dream because not only did Jesus have to come and die for us, but he lovingly did so and laid his life down. And so what we've been trying to get for ourselves in illegitimate ways, right? The approval we now have in a legitimate way through the gospel because God has shown us that he loves us in his son. And if you've never seen that, like you can, modify, you can have three steps to better anger management all day long, every day, and it's still gonna continue to simmer and it's still gonna continue to freeze until fear and pride are severed at their root. Now listen, some of you are going, man, that's, that's great. I, I hear a sermon on that. I'm gonna go out. I'm not gonna be angry anymore. That's probably not gonna happen, okay? I'm not gonna have unrighteous anger anymore and here's why. Because you and I, what we need to do is we need to not only, let me give you something real practical, we need to not only, right, sing about the cross and sing about the love of God on Sundays, but we need to savor it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Come on Sunday, celebrate and sing and savor it Monday, Tuesday. You know how you do that? You do that through opening the word of God and reading, look, looking at it like a mirror, like, the, like James says. When you look into the mirror and you see your imperfection shining back at you and it continues to cut away at the root of your pride day after day after day after day as you put your face into the word of God and allow it to be a mirror reflecting back to you the perfections of God and the imperfections of your own soul. But you also find in the word of God day after day after day after day the fact that you are not only incredibly flawed, but you are also favored by God in Jesus Christ. And so you're not only being reminded of that on Sunday, but every day, and as that happens over the course of time, you know what? You're cultivating new kinds of fruit that are now coming out of your life, and the Holy Spirit's producing those things that flow downhill into your life. So don't just depend on Sunday morning in order to chisel away at fear and pride, but do it every single day, but not only singing, but savoring. I'm gonna close with this. I'm gonna ask this question. What, what happens if you don't? What happens if you, what if, what if you never get to that root of pride? You never get to that root of fear. Here's what will happen. Jesus says, it will cost you deeply. There will be a high price to pay. I want you to look at what he says in the text as he closes. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, he says, look at this image. Two images. One, in worship at the altar you go and you um, reconcile with your brother before you even finish offering gifts. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Listen, before you, they even had to say the benediction and the announcements at church. You leave and you go be reconciled whenever God pricks your conscience and reminds you that there's someone with whom you are not right. Instead of staying and pretending as if everything is right between me and God when things are not right between me and one who has been made in his image. So he says, go and be reconciled. And in the second image, he says, on your way to court with an accuser. If they come up alongside of you and you're on your way to court, he says, come to terms with them quickly before you ever get before the judge. Before you ever stand before the judge. Because the judge will find you guilty. The judge will hand you over to the guard and the guard will put you in prison and you will not get out until you've paid the very last penny. 
So whether it be a brother in, in, in the first image or an accuser in the second image, maybe someone that you are deeply connected to in love or someone that has maybe set themselves against you as your enemy, either way, a brother or accuser, Jesus says, resolve quickly, reconcile quickly. With, there's, there's an urgency to that reconciliation, right? That Paul says in Ephesians 4, again, don't let the sun go down on your anger. See, the problem for some of us is that the sun has gone down on our anger day after day, week after week, month after, whole lunar cycles have passed, seasons have come and gone, and it continues to boil and simmer and freeze our hearts. But Jesus says reconcile with urgency. When you get to the heart of the fear or the pride that's controlling you, and you go to your brother or your sister and you say, I realized that the way I responded to you was out of pride. I thought that I was more important. I thought that I was more impressive than I actually am. Will you, will you forgive me? Or you go to your brother or your sister and you say, I was afraid that I was losing. I, was, I felt like things were being removed. From, I, I was afraid I was losing control. And I know that I acted in anger because of that. Would you forgive me? You don't just go and say, I'm sorry for what I did, but even addressing why you did it and acknowledging that and owning that before them. So you reconcile quickly because if you don't, he says there's a high price to pay. He says because there's a day coming in which we all stand before the judge. And you know what the judge does? He sees through all of our attempts to baptize our righteous anger or our unrighteous anger in the waters of righteousness. He sees through every attempt that we make to justify our anger, to justify our pride, to justify our fears. He sees through it all. And so don't wait until you're standing before him. But do it today. And if we did, wouldn't that be the kind of community that would shine brightly, that would be incredibly salty, that would be a city on a hill for all the world to see the beauty and glory of God in his church where relationships are reconciled and there is wholeness.